this talk, I'm not exactly uh, a research expert in this particular field, meaning the Confederate flag itself, but I thought this was something very important because of what happened, uh, well, what continues to happen. There are two inspirations for this. One, um, southern friends of mine uh, uh, like to tell me that they come north and into central Pennsylvania and they never see so many Confederate flags as here. And it puzzles them. It makes them go, what? Uh, secondly, last year in the high school, there was an incident in which a student uh, proudly wore Confederate flags and then uh, brought into the school newspaper uh, this particular statement. Uh, she said, if you think the Confederate flag is a symbol of racism, you need a history lesson. Well, I'm a history professor, so <laughs> I'm going to give you the history lesson because, uh, like many things, uh, the Confederate flag is very complicated. Uh, what you hear happening all the time today is people presenting it as heritage or hate. Have you ever heard that phrase? So in other words, people will say, no, this flag is good, it's fine, because it's just representing heritage. You know, what that heritage is, I don't always know. The other part says, well, this, this banner should never be flown because it represents hate. Now the problem is, and this is why the, I called the talk this way, and I actually went to the high school last year and talked to them about it, and we had a wonderful conversation with probably between 250 and 300 students who showed up on their own uh, in the auditorium to go over this kind of uh, issue. And it was a rousing conversation. Uh, <laughs> but you notice I'm emphasizing heritage and hate, because the way this flag has evolved it's not one or the other. And it has picked up baggage along the way. And all I want to do is trace its historic roots for you, show you where it's come from, and what were some of the things that have happened along the way that make it, to me, problematic to kind of pull these two things apart, the heritage and hate. But I'll get into that as we go through it. This is our, our real culprit here. This is the real Confederate battle flag. Anybody want to describe what does it look like to you? And does it differ at all from what you're used to? It's more commemorative with all the battles. Okay, we heard somebody say it's commemorative because of all the battles. These are battles, yes. New Bern, Hanover, Cedar Run, Cold Harbor, Petersburg. These are the 1864 campaigns. Here's the 1863 campaigns, uh, and, other, and these are the 1862 campaigns. So what does that suggest to us? It's a later symbol. It's not something that was carried into battle. Well, actually, that would be uh, incorrect. It actually was carried into battle. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is that the guys who carried this into battle would begin to sew onto this flag as a badge of honor the places that they had fought. Uh, this, by the way, is not the national flag of the Confederacy. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, this is actually, again, a battle flag. It comes into being, whoops, wrong way. It comes into being, uh, in 1861, uh, PGT Beauregard, a Confederate general, uh, decides that uh, the first national flag of the Confederacy was too confusing, especially in battle. This was the first national flag. Uh, it's called the Stars and Bars. Deliberately called Bars, and uh, Lesson from 13 
stripes uh, to three to distinguish itself from the American or U.S. flag. There's a problem, though. It looks still pretty much like the U.S. flag, doesn't it? Especially since the first, and by the way, the first uh, field up here would have seven stars on it to represent the first seven states of the Confederacy to secede. There was a period of a few months before the rest or the other four states joined uh, the Confederate war effort. So often you'll see seven stars as the first manifestation of this. Beauregard said, well, that ain't good. Um, there's a lot of confusion on the battlefield. So he instituted this battle flag, which, as you noticed, is square. It's 48 inches square. It is to have a uh, white margin. Let's see if I can back it up. See the white margin around it? It's supposed to have this uh, stripe all the way around it, totally square, 48 inches for an infantry flag. Cavalry would have other uh, dimensions to it. Um, and in fact, the flag that probably we're the most familiar with is actually the naval ensign uh, of the Confederacy. I don't know how that happened, just for reasons unknown. What we associate as the Confederate battle flag is actually the naval jack and was flown on naval ships uh, for the Confederacy. But you'll see that by 1863, uh, the emblem is very popular. Uh, and does anybody know where that, what that emblem is, this cross? You didn't know you were going to get a quiz, huh? <laughs> it's the St. Andrew's cross. It's a Christian symbol. And it was adopted uh, by the Confederacy once they went and decided that they wanted to change this flag, in 1863, they went to what was called the Stainless Banner, which is a white field, or big white flag with, of course, the Confederate symbols here. And by this time, if you count this up, you're going to see there are 13 stars on the Confederate flag. 13, right? Well, I told you earlier, there are 11 states in the Confederacy. Can they not add? <laughs> What's the deal? They're counting some border states. They counted two border states, absolutely, Missouri and Kentucky, uh, two slave-owning states that stayed loyal. There are 15 slave-owning states when the U.S. Uh, goes to war or civil war. And four of those states never joined the Confederacy, Kentucky, Missouri, uh, Maryland, and Delaware, lowly little Delaware with 2,000 slaves. But that's where you get 13 stars. They claim Missouri and Kentucky uh, politically, and even set up uh, a couple of very short-lived rogue governments uh, in those states uh, that didn't support themselves as soon as the army withdrew. So by May 1863, you now have the stainless banner. This is the Confederate national flag. This really wasn't that practical, especially aboard ships, because it looked like a flag of surrender at times. You know when it was not straight out or the wind didn't let it uh, unfurl. So they decided by March of 1865 to add this red stripe down the side in order to make it not look like a flag of surrender uh, so easily. So that's what you have. National flag, three generations of the national flag. You've got the battle flag square and for reasons unknown, the naval jack that becomes what we tend to think of as the battle flag today. Now, part of when you get into the issue of heritage is what did this flag mean and stand for even back then. 
Now, I'm not going to make the argument that every man who went into battle had as much of a connection to slavery as, say, planters or leaders or whatever. You know, guys could get into the service and they might have other reasons they're sitting there and deciding to fight. Personal reasons. Maybe they're just looking to defend their soil. Maybe they're looking um, to kill some Yankees. I mean, you never know. Lots of people can have individual reasons to fight. But the question is, what does the Confederate government stand for? And that's, there's almost no doubt about it. This is the Confederate, two sections of the, or I'm sorry, two sections of Article 4 in the Confederate Constitution. Uh, the Constitution was pretty much a carbon copy of the U.S. document, you know, why reinvent the wheel? And it worked, at least up until that point, until secession came. The only things that they wanted to clarify were several. One, they set a term limit on the president. One term, six years. So Jefferson Davis never faced re-election when he was um, running the Confederacy. You can read as well as I can what's the substance of these two articles that uh, work their way into the Confederate Constitution. Yeah, I mean, this was the subject of dispute. This is what brought the war on. They were, there were huge discussions, not about keeping slavery where it was, but what to do when you acquire the Mexican territories, you have all that new land with California, New Mexico, all of these that are not states yet, Colorado, and so on. What are you going to do with those lands? And who can take it? Can you take slaves there, or can you not take slaves there? And that brought people into argument with each other. So that it's not a surprise that once the Confederate Constitution is adopted, specifically, Although, there isn't a person alive at that time who didn't believe that the Constitution didn't su uh, support and protect slavery. And the U.S. government was on record as doing so through the Fugitive Slave Acts of 1850. So the Constitution is a document that protects slavery even under the U.S. The Confederate Constitution decides to take all the ambiguity out of it, let's put slave into it, and this is what we have. This is the great speech that, that embarrasses a lot of people uh, who want to try to distance the Confederacy from slavery. This is Alexander Stevens. He's the Confederate Vice President. This is a very famous early speech that he makes. I don't know if all of you can see it, like way back there. Can you make it out? Or uh, He says the government's foundations are laid. It's cornerstone rest. That's why it's called the cornerstone speech. It's cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and normal condition. Applause, applause. You can hear the, the people um, greeting that. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. Um, first and last. First and last. Well, I was looking, one of the things that's a problem for the Confederacy is that you can't really trumpet this all the time because there are only several countries still in the Western Hemisphere who have slaves. The U.S. is by far the largest, although Brazil is the most active slave trader in the entire hemisphere. They still have slaves and will until 1888. Cuba, Puerto Rico also have slaves. So slavery doesn't die with the U.S. It'll continue until 1888 in Brazil, but if you're the Confederacy and your hope is to get allies, 
in the world? What do you do if your main allies, your main hope, Britain and France, are on record of being emancipation nations and of having abolished slavery? You can't go to them and say, you know, we're a great slave-owning nation. We want to protect slavery. Come on board. Let's, let's work this out. It's not going to fly. So when they sent, and the Confederacy did this, when they sent Henry Hutze, a Swiss-born Alabamian, uh, to run a propaganda newspaper in London and funded him for that, he's going to not talk about slavery. He will talk about race and talk about the natural Anglo-Saxon uh, lineage and linkage uh, that all have. But he won't talk about slavery because that's not going to get on board the British government or the French government. But nonetheless, this is what, uh, this is Southern Punch. This is out of a, it was a humor magazine. It lasted only one year uh, from August of 1863 to August of 1864. And basically, I, I love this because, you know, this is late in the war. And these folks are looking at the scenery. They're understanding that you can't talk about slavery. And what does he say? The people of the South, says a contemporary, are not fighting for slavery but for independence. Well, it is true that they're fighting for independence. But let us look into this matter, he says. It is an easy task, we think, to show up this newfangled heresy. Our doctrine is this. We are fighting. Notice the caps, you know. We are fighting for independence that our great and necessary domestic institutions of slavery shall be preserved. Well, it was the Humor magazine that said that in 1864. Sometimes satire is right on the money. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I do not doubt that there are lots of men in the ranks underneath that battle flag who might not be thinking of slavery first and foremost as the reason why they are sitting there shooting at Yankees. But you can't get away from the fact of what the Confederate government stands for and why it is in business is a strong, strong connection to the perpetuation of slavery. So let's look at a little bit of post-war heritage now. Um, this is uh, how the flags were displayed very often in, in Confederate reunions. What do you see? What do you notice? So there are several different flags, right? Do you remember which ones are which? Stars and bars, the first flag of the national flag. Yep, that's actually the last manifestation of it. Remember the great strike that was added in 1865? Naval ensign, or actually that would have been uh, their representation of the battle flag. My point, they weren't separate at that time. They were often flown together. And there was still, by the early 20th century, as much emphasis on the national flags as there was on the battle flags. Also shows they weren't terribly well united either. They weren't They were who? not terribly well united. Who wasn't? I'm sorry. The Confederates in deciding which flag is going to be the one that represent them. Well, the, question, the, the point is that all of them did represent them. And so they were actually representing everything that mattered to them. As in, now this is a bizarre image, isn't it? Anybody recognize a fellow in the center? Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, President of the United States. Everybody thinks of him as Princeton, but he was born in Stanton, Virginia, and raised in Georgia. No wonder he liked Birth of a Nation. But he, uh, 
He's standing here. These are one of the uh, famous Gettysburg reunions that occurred, in which veterans from both sides came together. Woodrow Wilson's there. This is an old veteran. What flag does that, that veteran have? U.S. U.S. over here, right? What about the other flag? Which flag is that? It would be the second generation of the national flag of the Confederacy. My point again is that somewhere even by the early 20th century, the rebel flag as we know it wasn't really the most popular. It had been popular with the army, there's no doubt about it, but it wasn't the most uh, represented uh, flag even by the early 20th century. Whoops, wrong way. Sorry, I will do that to you just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> I love this one. By World War II, something happened to make the rebel flag, naval ensign uh, version, become the most popular uh, flag uh, that represents the Confederacy. It was used uh, by, in the Army. By the way, you should know that beginning with the Spanish-American War, the U.S. Army began to do away with state designations and deliberately started to mix people in units by sections so that you would put Southerners with Northerners and you wouldn't create and foster sectional mentalities. So they were trying to nationalize the mentality of the people themselves. By World War II, everybody was looking around and realizing, man, there are a lot of Confederate flags in this army. And they're laughing about it to some extent, but I thought, this is a great cartoon. What does it suggest to you? You know who this guy is, right? Yeah. Who's that guy? Grant. Ulysses S. Grant, right? General-in-chief of the army uh, by 1864. What, uh, why is he looking like that at this army truck? It's like, oh my God, what happened? This is the U.S. Army, and it's, it's got rebel flags all over it. Um, I, I just love this juxtaposition of image. It's just hysterical to me. Uh, this, I think, was Bill Moulton used to have a lot of these uh, in his cartoons, and I'm not sure what the significance is. Can anybody help us out? Uh, there used to be this little enlisted man like this, but I don't know exactly the uh, representation here. Whoops, wrong way. By 1949, as you can see at the University of North Carolina, that flag is extremely popular. It's now that uh, version of the flag that we tend to associate uh, with the Confederacy. And by this time, you can see it's becoming associated with what? What is the South? <laughs> I heard somebody say the elite, right? I mean, these are supposedly rich folks. These are not common folk in the South. So who, who is in this South that is depicted here? Soldiers, bells, we call it moonlight and magnolias, right? It's just a nice, it's a nice image, isn't it? It's gone with the wind. It's the genteel society. Uh, by the way, planters in the South, the, the ones with, say, 20 or more slaves, probably only represented about 2,000 out of 8 million of the population. But this is the dominant image of what constitutes the South. And this is part of what this flag is supposed to be um, dredging up for some of these people. Can you see that? Who's that? That's Hank Williams Jr., uh, the guy who starts out uh, Monday Night Football, right? What's the message? 
If the South would have won, we would have had it made. <laughs> Who's we? I don't know. I don't know. Seriously, who is we? Slave owners? Yeah. I don't I, I, I think, yeah, exactly. In Hank Williams' context, what's that? Joe Sixpacks. There we go. There we go. This is, you know, and I, I put this up here deliberately, redneck culture, mainly because last year, when the students at State High discussed this, the woman who wore the Confederate flag and who defended the flag called themselves rednecks, proudly. Said, we are rednecks. That's how they associated themselves and said, this is a flag for us. Now, what's, what goes with this? What are some of the things you think about when you hear about redneck culture and... Pickup trucks. Pickup trucks, right? Losers. <laughs> Losers, <laughs> you're a Yankee, I can tell. That's okay, so am I. Um, bigots? Well, I don't think Hank Williams would say, I'm a bigot. Why, what, what does this resonate with? How does this... Shotgun, when, how about the rebel image? Isn't it good to be a rebel? No, isn't it good to be a rebel? Well, rebels, uh, I mean, don't we like rebels in our society? Mavericks, huh? Didn't we look at, didn't we look at the revolution and say there were a bunch of rebels who, who bucked the, the English and fought for their rights and, and made it, right? Rebel, it's a powerful image. It's the underdog, right? The underdog. It's the person who says, you know, the Johnny Paycheck song, take this job and shove it. It's the, the individualist, the person who bucks the system. That's the rebel. You have to understand that there's this whole sense of the flag as embodying some of these things. Whether you or I believe that or not, that's a strong strain uh, in the cultural manifestation of it. So where's the hate? What's that? It's there beginning in 1948 with a vengeance. Now we talked about that the Confederacy itself stood for slavery and that, that's been something that the time still incorporating in our standard narrative of the war. But in 1948, this flag became embraced by especially young students who began to join the Dixiecrat Party. Do you know that name? Dixiecrats. This is kind of the precursor to the Republican Party in the South. These are people who split with Harry S. Truman, who is the Democrat sitting in the White House. Because in 1948, especially, Harry S. Truman did something that turned off many of the powers that be in the South. What did he do? Integrated the army. He started the process of desegregation and did it where he could. Uh, he could influence, he's commander in chief. He can start to say what goes on in the military. He starts to do this. He starts to press for other kinds of more expansive rights. He can't get Congress on board yet. It's a little early. Creates a split in the Democratic Party in the South. And boy, Strong Thurmond, until he died, he was there for a heck of a long time, wasn't he? And you can students, especially out of Mississippi, uh, were picking up on this emblem and beginning to use it now as a means of saying what?
they're saying segregation is good, absolutely. They don't want to give up on that society. They're going to keep a polarized whites only and blacks only society, separate public accommodations, separate drinking fountains, and so on. Of course, we know that somebody else adopted the, the symbol. Uh, this is, again, during desegregation efforts in the South, and the Klan happily embraced uh, the Confederate flag, put it on um, its robes, and made it a statement again. And again, they could make this statement, too, by saying, we're rebels here, right? We are resisting whom? The federal government, just like who? Our ancestors did, right? Our ancestors who stood up and told the federal government, we're not going farther with this. So they, they're resonating with it. They're saying, we are just like the ancestors who did this one other time in our past. And of course, it was extremely popular in student culture, extremely popular. And again, for using for marches, you remember some of, uh, I think some of you are like me and grew up during that time, or at least were, remember some of those times. And they were pretty tempestuous. Lots of marching in the streets, some violence. Um, and you can see, I think it's hard not to see the Confederate flag there, isn't it? Again, the symbol of resisting the federal government and powers. So do you see some hate in there? African Americans sure did. This is uh, 1960s out of the Richmond, Richmond excuse me, Afro-American. And this is their view of the Confederate flag. Um, anybody know who this guy is? Senator Richard Russell, longtime senator, probably the most enduring senator from the state of Georgia, out-and-out um, -out white supremacist, uh, resisted civil rights. Uh, the guy who Lyndon Baines Johnson had to win over in order to get civil rights through was this fellow. He, uh, he went out. Uh, long and hard, and for decades campaigned against uh, desegregation. So they're saying Richard Russell, they're putting him in a Confederate robe. By the way, who are these guys? Yeah, they see the Klan uh, in the background. Solid rock of majority opposition, and look what they have on that they think belongs on their Confederate battle flag. Prejudice, segregation, just injustice, excuse me, disfranchisement. That's what American or African Americans saw in the flag by that time. Now, one of the things that you probably don't know, one of the, you're familiar with the big issues about putting the flag over the South Carolina rotunda, right? When did the flag go up? Now, this is something that everybody assumes and that it's not right. In fact, 10 out of 11 of the Confederate states, former Confederate states, that put these flags up, that put Confederate emblems in them, went up when, do you know? The 60s, 50s and 60s. Let me repeat that. The 50s and 60s. The South Carolina flag went up in 1962. What's the context? Civil rights, desegregation. That's when that flag went up. Uh, Georgia. Georgia has been through four manifestations of its flag, has tried to put up different uh, emblems, has had the St. Andrew's Cross prominent, diminutive. If I remember correctly, they still have it um, in the flag. The only state that did not 
start this relatively recently was Mississippi, who in 1890s uh, were proudly putting the St. Andrew's Cross as part of their state flag. All the rest went up during the civil rights era. All the rest. Back in 1992, good-thinking Southerners knew it. Uh, Zell Miller, who was the governor of Georgia at that time, said, what we fly today is not an enduring symbol of our heritage, but the fighting flag of those who wanted to preserve a segregated South in the face of the civil rights movement. You see why I mean, why I said heritage and hate? They're kind of both on this flag, and it's tough to pull them off. I thought you'd be interested in a Penn State connection here, and this is where I'm going to be stopping and trying to get some of your comments. Back in 2000, and this is when the Confederate flag was being debated hugely on the South Carolina Rotunda. It came down, I think, in 2001, if I remember correctly, although dates aren't my strong point. So if somebody knows better, uh, please let me know. But uh, I give the Nittany Lion baseball team credit. They were playing Winthrop in South Carolina. And the guys on the team at that time started to form a study group. And they said, what should we do? Should we care about that flag? Should we not care about that flag? They eventually ended up wearing red wristbands uh, in protest of the flag. They did go down and play. I don't know who won, by the way. But they did go down and play. And this is what I thought was even more interesting. The decision was made by a vote of four coaches and 38 players. Only two of them were black, and only one was a Hispanic. Yet they came to the conclusion that they wanted to say something personally about that particular flag. And it came after they had formed a study group and conducted discussions and so on. OK. Russ. Well, I think at that same year, uh, the NCAA made a ruling that there would be no NCAA tournaments played in South Carolina. In South Carolina, yeah. yeah. The other thing I want to mention, you know that, that Dirk Bird in that view with uh, U.S. Grant? Right. Oh, That's right. where they always depicted a crow, and I'm just thinking, Jim does that have Jim Crow? Jim Crow, Jim Crow. It might be. Yeah, it might so. be. That's a good idea. That's a very good interpretation. Could be Jim Crow. Yeah. Okay, one of the questions I have for you is, if you were the state college school district, and you had this happen, you had this come up, and you had a student who took a stand, like she did, what do you do? Play back. Play back? <laughs> How? I mean, you're at the school. What, what are, you, are you going to uh, ban the flag? Are you, what are you going to do? Are you, should students be allowed to wear uh, Confederate flag t-shirts to class? Invite a professor in for lecture. Well, they did that. <laughs> you took the, the cheap way out. I, I come free. Uh, so he said, take this, uh, invite the professor to come into class and, and lead a discussion. Well, uh, would... How is this different from, let's say, a student wearing a swastika t-shirt? What do you think? I can answer that, but I'm going to be curious how you do. What's the difference between this and the swastika? There's the, it's not all hate, I guess. It's not considered all hate because they had a mixed group that lived in the South. I think that the school district needs to take a look at whether it's doing more harm than good and weigh it out in that way, because I'm sure more people would be offended by it than teenagers saying, oh, this is a great thing, let's represent our history, because most of them, I'm 26, and I don't have as much knowledge as this. I'm sure they have even less. Mm -hmm. We do have bad knowledge about history in our society. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not always well taught. Uh, sometimes it's 
I don't know whether you know this, but be, with our programs that we do through UNESCO with teachers, we learn that the state of Mississippi, for example, begins teaching history to its students in 1870, as 1877. That's the beginning point. That means they miss <laughs> slavery, civil war, and reconstruction. Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's not always the student's fault is what I'm saying. It's sometimes how it is taught, what is taught, and this is a profoundly misunderstood subject still, as odd as that may sound. Um, but I, I guarantee you, from all the work that we do with teachers across the country, it is still misunderstood, even just what was the root cause of the Civil War itself. But again, what do you do? You're policymakers now. You're sitting on the school board of the administration. What do you do? Well, we're a free country. You have the right to wear that shirt. Yeah. And the student also has the right to be educated about what they're wearing. Right. I'm thinking that girl that wore that shirt to your meeting probably burned it afterwards. I don't or know. at least reconsidered wearing it ever again. We, because myself, before this meeting, right. I thought of the rebel flag, even though, you know, I've lived north and south, uh -huh. I've seen the different views of the flag. It's a symbol of just rebellion, mm -hmm. and that's how the kids see it, right. that don't know the history. Right. And they don't really mean it right. the way it may be interpreted by right. people that first formed it. And uh, I saw another hand up with the, yes. Well, I think the school district policy is they don't want disruption. They are there to to teach. And I don't care if you've got a t-shirt with two big boobs facing you, you know, printed on there. They're going to tell you to take that off because that is disruptive to the process of learning. The same as a swastika right, or right. this this flag or nasty sayings and we're not free because you try to put a nasty saying on your license plate and you will find that you are censored okay. in every state in the union. You cannot write all kinds of things on your license plate. So I guess what I'm hearing is are two different views. One is, you know, educate and you can't prevent you know, the flag, but you're I saying if your mom and dad it. buy you a swastika or a rebel flag uh -huh. and you want to wear it, ride around in your truck, fine. Wear it at home, wear it to church, wear it to your youth group, or wear it to school. <laughs> but don't wear it to school. Okay. okay. Yeah. I think it's dangerous to completely shut it down, though, because you're missing a complete opportunity to have students have a conversation about it. Because it's, the reality is, it's, it's a symbol. And the reason that it's offensive is because it hurts people. And to tell a student you can't wear it, you completely miss the opportunity to have a conversation about how it makes people feel because that's what the issue is. Right. And that's why it becomes disruptive. Is because students are in pain because of what, what's in front of their face because they have a different reaction to how they think it means versus maybe what that person is wearing it. And maybe not. I mean, maybe they are wearing it to right. be mean and hateful, but maybe they don't understand it. Right. And it's no different than students who have been kicked out of proms because they're male and they come in a dress. You know, you're not allowed to wear a dress to the prom because it's disruptive. Well, have a conversation about why that is. You know, why is it disruptive? Because it's bothering people. And that's the whole point of education is to be able to have conversations and to understand why you think the way that you think and how, why you feel the way that you feel. Right. And I think, in, I think in her defense and in, uh, what you say is probably true. I don't think she really did understand right. Um, right. what was associated with the flag and what the history if you've never been brought in, she probably never would have. And whether or not right. she wore it later, at least she understood what it meant and that's to, it. to in a greater context. Yeah, I, that's <coughs> been always my caution to people is, okay, if you're going to wear it, just at least know what it represents. And if you choose still to wear it, then you're saying something else. But 
understand where it comes from in the context. Um, anybody else? What about, uh, okay. Anybody we, black here want to comment? Would you have anybody black here? It's <laughs> very rare. <laughs> All right, well, how would you feel if you were in a room and a bunch of people had Confederate flags on? I mean, um, I'm only like 16, so I don't know all the history yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking to for, you know? Right, right. And, but, like, from what I've uh, known about it so far, I think it's offensive. But the problem I have is the people up here wear it. And I asked this one boy, I used to go to State High last year, and I asked this one boy, he's wearing a belt, and it had a better fine on it. Right. And I asked him, like, where he's from, and he said, State College. And I was like, well, why are you wearing it? He said, because I'm representing the South. And I said, but you're from State College. And he's like, yeah. no. And then I got a big argument with him, and then <laughs> I won. But, <laughs> and then, like, I, I don't really like it. But I feel like you should educate the girls and, right. you know, educate her. And I don't, she's kind of, she's, she is, she, she's stubborn. So, yeah, no, you um, know who I'm talking about? I know who you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she is stubborn. I, I bet she's still wearing it. I do, she is. Yeah, she's still wearing it. But she's proud to be a redneck. She's not associating that with the South. I mean, she's associating that with this image of whatever that is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I bet she is. But I, I don't know. I go to Grange Fair, and boy, do I see a lot of Confederate flags there. Uh, and I don't know what it all means. Um, it just baffles me. It's, it's the same reaction. Like, what? Why doing? Why? What's this? Um, maybe it is the Hank Williams thing. I don't know. Because his flag, by the way, I've seen in Grange Hall, as well. That same flag at the South uh, would have won. We would have had it made. That kind of thing. Where do you? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just wondering if there was any intentional uh, promotion of the Confederate flag by uh, as a cultural symbol beyond the South by any political group. Um, because it seems to me that that's very much alive in a kind of anti-East, anti-intellectual uh, culture right. war that we're even seeing in the election right. process today. I I'm trying to think of political groups. That are the, the most, um, the one I can identify the most is a group called League of the South. I don't know if any of you have ever heard about it. Uh, you can find it on the internet. You can Google it easily enough. <coughs> right, I can't remember if it was 2000. Yeah, I think in 2000 they ran a presidential candidate. And uh, the platform was basically um, that they were against multiculturalism. They were against, um, you know, taxes. Uh, they called themselves the true conservatives. Uh, they said they would... <laughs> this one cracked me up. They were against multiculturalism, didn't believe in it, but they still welcomed black people, which I was like, okay, this, but whatever. Um, and then they said, uh, and if we don't get our way, we should probably try to secede again. Um, they're not quite, they're, they're a fringe group in some respects, but not as fringe as you might think. They really have a substantive base, you know. I'm guessing they probably have like, you know, 50,000 members or something like that. You can see their website. That's the only group, group I know, but there's a very <coughs> concerted effort now to reclaim the Confederate flag and, and Confederate heritage. Um, and it's joined by, there's uh, Clyde Wilson at the University of South Carolina. There are PhDs uh, who have joined this effort. They're, they've created books. 
new works that are out uh, called The South Was Right. Um, and they're trying to hammer away at some of the um, history that's now being taught in colleges and in schools. Uh, but it's definitely, there is a concerted effort to try to, but it's not just a political party or not kind of a party system. And I, I think you're right on the money in talking about his anti-you know anti-eastern establishment and so on. It's a real town country kind of thing that goes on here too. Uh, the question is, do, is there any connection to the British Union Jack? And the answer is not that I know of. Um, they, because there's a, in fact, two books for you. I, they're on the website for this, but if you're interested in exploring this further, Color, Colors of Blood, it sounds, <coughs> bless you, it sounds very lurid, but it's not. It's actually uh, a wonderful in-depth study by Bob Bonner, who goes into all of the uh, discussion about why do we pick this flag over this flag. And as far as I can tell, the British never came up. Uh, although the St. Andrew's Cross is an Episcopalian you know, flag, so, but they don't see it as British per se, they see it as more Christian and represent, representative of a Christian nation. By the way, this is kind of fascinating. It's something you probably don't know. Uh, when the first flags were being constructed and debated, they were actually going to put the more standard Christian cross on the flag. The problem was it was offensive to many of the Jewish uh, members of the Confederacy. And that, you may go, what? Uh, but the South Carolina, especially Charleston, had one of the most entrenched and, and most influential Jewish communities in the Western Hemisphere. Until the 1830s, it was the largest, and it was the center for Reformed Judaism on this continent. So they had to take that into account. And they didn't pick the regular cross, and they, the St. Andrews one was enough different that it could still be Christian, but not offensive to the Jewish population. Uh, the other, all of that stuff, by the way, is in Bob Bonner's book. The other book, titled very easily, The Confederate Battle Flag, uh, by John Kosky, and uh, he goes into a lot of the history, including up to today, and I credit him with a lot of the images uh, that I have on this. Yes, sir. Could you comment on the role of Hollywood and other mass media in <clears throat> creating this this image of the South as being sort of romantic and right. you know re rebellious? It's even worse. Let me put it this way. Uh, there's a new book out by Gary Gallagher, uh, part of the Bros Lecture series that we uh, produce. Uh, this book is dealing with Hollywood and how they have dealt with the Civil War. Oh, God, I can't remember the title. Amy, do you remember the title at all? Causes Won and Lost. Causes Won and Lost, thank you. Um, it's easy to understand the gum with the wind stuff. I mean, because that's very sexy and, you know, Rhett Butler and, you know, and all that cast of characters and it looks very Moonlight and Magnolia, it looks very lush and so on. That started to come up during a particular period of American life, before movies, in fact, when that was what was being uh, posed in contradiction to more industrialization, more immigration, crime and problems in the city, and a progressive era that was trying to attack those things in cities. So Hollywood glommed onto that. But what Gary Gallagher has shown is really fascinating. Um, the biggest problem is that it's the union cause, the union cause of the Civil War 
that has been destroyed by Hollywood. No, he, he traces this, and I think with the exception of one movie in the last 30 years, no Yankee is portrayed well. No Union soldier is a good Union soldier. Uh, they're almost always creating atrocities, committing atrocities, or um, uh, raping and pillaging the South and so on. That whole image that uh, came about back in the early 20th century of the South has kind of overwashed and it's become the dominant image today to the point where the Union cause and the Union soldier is not well represented by Hollywood. The United States, by the way, <laughs> which always cracks me up. Remember, we're not talking, we're talking about the United States. <coughs> we're talking about our guys. <laughs> and it just cracks me up that they are the ones who come out on the bad end. With uh, one exception in Glory. Glory, they come out, the black soldiers come out well, but the white soldiers come out as basically racist and um, uh, not very good guys in certain respects. Amy? Zell Miller points out, and you did too, of course, mm -hmm. that it's the Confederate battle flag. Right. As opposed to these other flags, which were still, seemed to be like they were currency in the 1890s. So was it, was there some kind of conscious effort by people in the 1950s to resurrect the battle flag as opposed to other flag? Why is it that that's the only flag that we recognize now as the Confederate flag? That's the million dollar question I don't know the answer to, except to say that for reasons unknown, um, that flag was out there in the public domain, and in 18, 1948, excuse me, when the Dixiecrat Party formed, that's the ones the students... That was when it happened. That's okay. when the students grabbed that flag and said, this is part of the Dixiecrat Party. And do you think it was the fact that it was the battle flag? I think so, because it was, you know, they could say resistance to the government, but I'm guessing there. Uh, why do people do that, and why does that become the flag? I don't know. What you will see today is a conscious effort now by people who say, no, no, it's heritage, to go the reverse and to start using the national flags and so on and display them together. So that's the trend you see today. 1948, I don't know why they grabbed the battle flag, except this, I guess that it's resistance. Um, one thing you said really interested me a lot. It was the early history of the Republican Party as a, as the, in the South, right. as a history uh, as a party of the racists of the, of the right. slave owners well, and of the Confederacy, yes. basically. So that explains a lot of history to me. Could you comment on that? Well, the, the question is, you know, the the antecedents of the of the white Republican Party in the South being the Dixiecrats. Well, remember there is a Republican Party in the South. Um, and in fact, the Republican Party was the first real biracial coalition that uh, ruled in the South for a good number of years. You had African Americans who could vote, and they were companioned with white uh, Americans in the South as well. Disfranchisement and segregation came about from 1890, beginning in Mississippi, through to about 1911 or 12 uh, in Virginia. And what all of that did was begin to systematically deprive African Americans of political rights. So by the time you get to the 1930s, the Republican Party is a, is a shadow of itself in the South. It's mostly a Democratic South. And when you start to see the to turn toward a Republican Party is with 1948 and the Dixiecrats and so on. They form a splinter group of the Democrats first and then gravitate into the Republican Party. Is that, is that answering your question? <coughs> Well, I, I see it's a complicated <laughs> <laughs> It is complicated. It's the same moment in the 